This fan base is amazing. The city of Cincinnati is amazing, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Desmond fakes a handoff, runs to the right. He's got all sorts of room to the 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Bearcats! 25, toward the middle of the field at the 35, and he is gone! Trey Tucker will take it 98 yards to the house. Ball poked away by DeJulius. Diving on the floor to grab it is Oguama. Bounces it for Lockett. Fires ahead to Adams Woods. DeJulius for three. Good! Cincinnati has scored 17 straight. The one-handed catch. Hands it off to Marcus Jones. He has tackled it to 34. It. And it is over. Zero losses, zero doubts. Opportunity seized as the Bearcats send a message to the college football world. Did you see that? Hello, listeners, new and old. Welcome back to your favorite Bearcats podcast, The Evil of Cats. I am your host, Justin Howes, accompanied by my great, great friend, Steve Maurer. And we are here to bring you the very best of the Bearcats twice a week in our standard weekly preview and our post-game coverage on Twitter spaces. Um, we've been a little busy lately, so unfortunately we did not get to uh, catch up with everything last week, uh, but there's plenty to sort of bring everything back to earth on. So um, basketball, we started off 3-0. and We've managed to get a couple games under the belt here and for Football, we have covered now, I guess, two games uh, that we can talk about here. So with all that said, we're going to start off with basketball. I feel like we tend to start off with football, um, but basketball season's back, baby. So why not just start with that? Uh, like I said, 3-0, and and I think we're feeling pretty good so far. What are your thoughts? I'd say so. I mean, I was able to watch the game. Uh, so I was gone uh, last week and. uh I hindered our ability to do a podcast because I was in Amsterdam. So uh, well, it didn't really help us too much, but uh, you know, it, we we're, we're back this week and uh, I was able to watch on Sunday uh, for the first, first time for all 40 minutes. And uh, I think they look good. Um, I think the first impressions to me of just watching is just Landers and Ollie is kind of just all over the floor and he's really yeah. helping a lot and getting involved in different positions, like you know, rebounding, able to put up a shot three-point percentage isn't what you want to see just yet, but uh, he'll get there. Um, and also, I, I think like he's just been kind of like an energy source uh, that mm-hmm. John Newman was, and unfortunately, we might not see John Newman for a little bit as he had surgery as we rec- uh, earlier today as we record. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that he uh, Landers is able to bring this team together. And um, just for my group chats, like just because I think – at least I have a pulse or, or an understanding of what, you know, most fans are talking about just from like a couple of my Bearcat group chats that I'm in. Um, people like to uh, are saying right now that, you know, there's some similarities with last year's team, of course, because they had same a lot of the same players from last year. But when they get on those runs in the second half where they're not making shots and the other team is making shots, they're able to weather that storm and come back and win. And yes, like for example, this, uh, this Eastern Kentucky game where they cut it to six and the Bearcats were able to pull away at the end, that might've been a lot closer game or a loss last year. And it was mm-hmm. pretty impressive for me to see us come back all the way to cover at the end, uh, <laughs> but, you know, still 18 point win. Um, it's good win against Eastern Kentucky. Um, I, but you're right, Justin. Three and zero, going on the road uh, in uh, quotation marks. Uh, I did audible and verbal in uh, a, you know, you can see those quotation <laughs> marks if you're watching us on video. Um, it's going to NKU, uh, and then next week going to Maui. And um, uh, I, I do want to bring up real quick, Justin, that uh, Louisville just lost tonight to go to no three. They did yeah. lose. Wow. Yep. Yep. They they lost to go to zero and three. So. Um, there is a, a possibility that if the Bearcats do drop their first two games in Maui, we would be seeing Louisville near the end. Cause boy, do they stink? Like, boy, howdy. They, they're not good. So Louisville, um, I, I saw a picture. Um, I don't remember if I had sent it to you or not, because this was only what, probably 20 minutes ago that I saw this tweet, but, uh, their first half like attendance is a full on wide angle picture of their entire arena. It was empty like louisville's oh. not like that 
Like I Louisville, saw something with Maryland too. That was like it was bad too. Yeah. So and I then mean, Maryland has a new basketball coach too. So I'm just like kind of confused about that. But I'll say this much: like I think it's they're in a little bit of a turmoil just because of all the stuff with Chris Mack and you know turning over of the guards, so to speak. But uh, yeah, it's it's ugly over there. But regardless, um, the Bearcats are like we said three and zero, keeping everything clean on the books. Fans have been showing out to games. Um, attendance has been looking solid. Uh, it's really going to be interesting going into the next few weeks, um, especially with the Maui um, coming up. But did want to go over a few things, just kind of what our performance looks like so far uh, by the numbers. Um, because, of course, you know, we love to nerd out here a little bit on stats sometimes. Uh, specifically going into Kempom, uh, the Bearcats sit at 53 in Kempom. If I remember correctly, they started the season somewhere in the low 60s, if not like 51 or 50. I don't remember. It's somewhere in that range, but um, currently they sit at 53, 47 in adjusted offense, 62 in adjusted defense, 237 in tempo, and strength of schedule at a whopping 312 out of 350. So clearly we're taking some cupcake games as it's seen, um, and Ken Palm's not really going to give us much for that, um, and hence why we're either moving backwards or not moving anywhere. We're kind of stagnant here. Um, but wanted to say with those things out of the way, small sample size so far. Um, but I wanted to cross section our first three games, just kind of with what last year's averages are to sort of, uh, give us an idea of what we should be expecting. Um, because of course year two, we would expect everything to improve so far. The cats are improving in every single category so far, except for three point shooting, which is marginal at best. I think it's by like a percent, um, but so far this season, Bearcats have 69, uh, or sorry, 85 points per game up from 69 points per game uh, last season, 45 rebounds per game so far this year versus 39 from last assists are up four at 17 per game up from 13 last year and nine steals and five blocks per game so far rounding that off 40% as a team from the floor so far. Um, Overall, I think like, you know, statistically speaking, I think everything seems pretty sound, like they're getting everything that they need to um, get done. Turnovers still around 10 per game. I'm not going to, nobody's going to argue over that. I think we've done a fairly good job of taking care of the ball so far. Um, Like I said, of course, you can expect a lot of these numbers are going to start to drop, especially once Maui comes around. And again, our, uh, you know, five games, six games in at that point really starts to um, adjust our sample size here. But I think things seem pretty sound overall. I, I, I have liked the performance that I've seen from the team end to end. I think it's nice because last year it felt like we were, I don't know. It, it felt weird because we were so stacked with older guys, but not necessarily an awful ton of like talent every single place. Um and now this year, it feels like we're just loaded and you go to the bench and everybody could, you know, you could question whether or not they'd be a starter. You have a guy like, say, Odie, um, you would have a guy like John, which actually I'm curious, of course, you know, sh- again, shout out to John Newman. Hopefully he recovers fast um, because I think he they said the, he ended up with a torn meniscus um, is the verdict there. So that's probably going to be a while, hopefully not the season, but um you know, knock on wood for his quick recovery, regardless, um, you know, you have a guy like him who's out and you have, you know, now Landers Nolly that can fill that void of the, you know, similar size position, all that. But you also have a guy like Odie who's sitting on the bench and still able to really pump it up, you know, (laughs) got to pump it up. You've got to pump it up. You've got to pump it up. Um, you've got guys that really can kind of fill in these gaps. And I I feel really comfortable about it. I think when we talked about this at the beginning of the, or right before the season started, we were trying to figure out kind of what the starting five would be. Um, That's kind of boiled down to DeJulius, Nolly, Davenport, uh, Mike Adams, Woods, and lock in there. And at the the five, Um, I think overall that feels really solid. And Hensley has kind of been like, I'd say he's the sixth man of this team. I mean, I mean, minutes wise, he's, he's shown that. He's, um, you know, him and Finnessy, I think, are kind of bouncing back and forth between that position. But we talked about this last year with Hensley. It's like you could see that the potential was there and that he could really start of uh, start to 
vie for maybe not necessarily a starting position, but to be that sixth man and not necessarily be sort of at the end of the rotation and you're like 10 or 11, you're nines. He's really moving up the depth chart pretty quick. So, um, and, and a guy like Kalu too, I thought Kalu might end up possibly being a starter or getting more minutes. And so far he really hasn't seen as many, even with his, you know, sort of veteran experience coming out of ODU. So that's been interesting to see as well. But overall, I think everybody's kind of been sharing the load pretty good. Um, and this week with John Newman out, um, there's another roster spot open. So that means that we're going to see Josh Reed start for the first time, or at least play for the first time, not start. Um, so that'll be interesting. Nice to get some looks there as well, too, because Skillings has looked really solid. Those two paired together, I think would be awesome just to see them on the court. Those two, if you can manage to get Odie on there and then get a guy like Landers or DDJ there, like add in Hensley, that's like the bounciest lineup you could possibly think of. All those guys are pogo sticks, man, and they've got so much energy. So um, it'll be exciting to watch that. Yeah, um, I was going to say because uh, Skilling's like just a couple of his dunks he's had, man, he's got some bounce. Like He, he really does. I, I love that too. Like out of like a freshman too, just be able to get up and get there. And seems like he's been like eight, nine, ten, like at least getting some minutes, even though it's in these early games and the yeah. rotation will likely whittle down as the season goes on. But still good to see him get and get involved and be part of it. Yeah, definitely. And it's I think the um if you look at the minute spread here, um I think it's kind of interesting to see where everybody plugs in. Um, like I said, Hensley is kind of sitting there. Hensley and Finnessy, I wouldn't even count Finnessy really as a sixth man because I feel like he's like a he's getting starting minutes. He's he's swapping out, you know, kind of between there. If anything, he's actually been averaging more minutes than Micah has, um, which I think is good just to pair those two. They've been splitting it pretty much down the middle. Um, but from there, I think the production has been really well and or been really good. And I don't see like any noticeable gaps or where anybody's really been lacking so far where you could argue somebody else should be in place of that person when they're on the floor. Um, so that's been nice to see. One thing I did want to highlight um, so far, our free throw percentage, not awful. We're at 71%. Mind you guys, this is a really low bar to raise up here. So we don't have to try very hard to get up quick. Um, Micah and Odie so far on the season are 100%. I'd have to look specifically into their numbers um, to see how many attempts they actually have. Um, but so far, we've <laughs> got 100% still on the board, three games in, which we will take. That is not something that we've been used to seeing. Um, with Landers and uh, Landers Hen- Hensley and Julius and Davenport all above 70%. So um, hopefully we can continue to see that because as we know, You know, this is the thing when you're playing teams like Cleveland State, when you're playing teams like Shamanade, EKU, like you're going to expect to have a lead. You're going to expect to, you know, have that cushion. You get into the Maui, like we saw last year in our tournament, a game, you know, not like Illinois, but a game like Arkansas, your free throws are going to cost you if you do not hit them. We saw that so many times last year. Free throws, I think, really are the difference between this being like a 20 win team up to like 26, 27 win team like that's, and that's, those are lofty. That's a lofty number right there. But like, again, that's the difference between can you close out and can you not? And the difference between can you take over in an overtime situation or can you not? Um, And we're going to get plenty of those coming up. I mean, especially once conference rolls around it, you know, that you're going to get hit with it. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, we don't have to do this this week, but I do want to bring up some, uh, as we get closer to conference play, um, there's been a couple stinkers in our league already. Uh, yep. uh, South Florida, shout out, 0-3 already. <laughs> so uh, Brian Gregory and the boys are really getting it. I don't even know if he's still the coach there anymore. But, uh, uh, man, Brian Gregory uh, really bringing it, holding it down for some AAC basketball. <laughs> uh, the, uh, I'm the excited tw- to leave this conference. That tweet that you sent me earlier, um, like I said, we don't have to get super into this, but this they are vying for that position of a team who didn't even get to take P5 money, but has just watched their entire athletic department crumble over the past decade, really. Uh, yeah, yeah, horns down. Uh, <laughs> nothing's really going good there. Um, but regardless, the last thing I wanted to mention here was a sh- um, shout out to David Julius. He has been playing really well so far. Again, three games against some cupcakes, but 
still able to get it done. We'll see how he performs in the Maui tournament. But so far, this guy is pretty much <laughs> he's lighting it up. He's cooking some boys out here. Um, yeah. I still think the, the most beautiful thing is like his, you know, just when he steps into his three, any any kind of backcourt moves that he does just immediately follows with the three and just mixes people up man it's so much fun yeah. to watch and it's nice to have a guy who can just go out there and ball um that you feel yeah. confident about um every single shot so far this year um i wanted to go into what he's at um so last year he averaged uh 29.7 from three obviously again still three games in but uh <laughs> Three-point percentage so far this year, sitting at a nice, clean 70% from the three. That is pretty damn good. It doesn't matter if you're one game in, two games in, three games in, you're going to start to watch that number dwindle. The fact that he's still sitting at 70%, he's consistent. And I think that's the biggest thing to pay attention to here. Um, He's taken three on the year, so it's not like he's been really doing some volume shooting as compared to Davenport, um, who has also made seven threes. Uh, versus his 21 attempts, um, which, you know, efficiency is always going to be efficiency, but it's just nice to see that he's taking some good shots and hitting them. Um, and again, I don't think anybody should sleep on Davenport too, um, because he had a nice, healthy 30 something, 34, 35% from the three last year. It may even be higher than that, um, which actually I think tied or surpassed Kilpatrick's record for three point percentage on the year. Um, so you got to give the man the credit where it's due. Um, but yeah. again, like we said, DeJulius is the clear and away leader of this team right now. Um, really been able to take it over. And Nolly, I think, has been... It's been nice to see him step into the role so quickly. Um, you'd expect that coming out of Memphis. You'd expect that coming out of the role that he had there as a starter. But um, it's materialized really fast. And I think it's nice just to have... This is what we talked about last year. In in volume, we talked about this last year. DeJulius, you're certified one. Davenport, you're certified two. It's not going to work with him as a certified two. You have to have somebody else in there in order for him to, to alleviate some of the pressure. He is a baller. He's a great basketball player, but you can't force him to be number two. It's not going to work. And now yeah. that he's able to slot into that number three spot, have two other guys that are going to get the focus, I think it's going to allow him to shine a bit more. And it's nice just to see that as well, because now you have another guy that is a stud that you can rely on night in, night out. Last point before we move on here. Um, Victor Locken, let's just go out and say it. This guy is, I, I'm, I'm going to say he is going to be conference player of the year at least once before he leaves for, uh, we'll see wherever he goes after. But before he leaves Cincinnati, he's going to be conference player of the year. Not going to be this year. Next really? year, year after, <laughs> it, there's a possibility. I, I think it's I think it's legit. The way he has progressed from last season to this season already, you it's it's one of those things. It doesn't matter who you're playing; you can see it. You can see in his awareness around the rim. He's going for more offensive boards. He's sticking around. He's able to bully some guys out of it. He has a not like he's he looks like Jokic, like a mini Jokic. On I was going to say that. Yeah, it's crazy. Like he he. The, the leaps and bounds that he has taken from last year to this year are nuts. And it's so exciting to watch. And it's going to be nice just to know that, like, we we talked about this a lot last year, too. We want that, you know, Shaq type, that bully ball guy um, at the five. He might not necessarily be that, but he's completed and rounded off a lot of the other elements of his game to be very reliable. And there's a reason that he's starting. I mean, he is the guy for that. And it's also nice on the last point with Vic here to see somebody that's younger in our lineup getting that start because you have a guy like Nolly, you have a guy like DeJulius and Davenport and Micah, you're going to see a couple of these guys go this year. And so like to know that you have a guy that's going to be a starter the seasons to come and he's starting now and he still has two, three years of eligibility left. I don't remember exactly what it is. I think it's three, if not two, I think probably two, probably three, but Regardless, to have that much eligibility left and to be starting, you want to see that. And not only to be starting, to be starting on a team that has a lot of talent. That's the other thing to, mm -hmm. that we don't want to miss. Because like a, on a team like Brannon's, you know, if you're starting a guy like Micah, then he was really young, but it was, you know, kind of a shared, young, youthful team. 
and you're trying to figure stuff out, now you have a lot of vets and you can still get a really young guy in starting. I think that's huge. So I'm definitely happy to see that. Um, yeah. And I hope that yeah. I like that you said that Jokic thing, but I, I don't think I've ever seen Nikola Jokic uh, pick a pa- uh, pick a guy's pocket and then do a behind the back cross court pass <laughs> for a layup. Like that was so smooth. And then the whole team doing like the Vic celebration like oh, that, yeah. <laughs> like that was so much fun. Uh, he's, I, you could tell like, he's kind of like the, um, the quiet guy in the locker room, but like everybody loves him, you know, yeah. like he's kind of like, I don't exactly know who to compare him to, but like, just like, I think we all kind of have like that one friend who's like really quiet, but like, they are like, when they do something cool, everybody's like, Oh yeah. Like, he's just like, <laughs> he's the guy, like the silent assassin, I would say, you know, there you go. He, yeah. He's, he's lurking there. So, um, lurking, but, locking. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, one quick thing I wanted to add, uh, Juice and uh, JD combined for 41 points in the EKU win. Um, And I I think, uh, you know, something that you brought up and I just wanted to hammer home to Landers Nolly, he wears number two. He is the number two guy this year. And JD is that three. But having someone uh, who's like, you know, more efficient as a nice way to say that um, Mm -hmm. in getting getting points and being able to draw defenders um, and not really being just left completely open. Like there were some games last year where JD, if the ball went to him on the three point line, he was not drawing, was not drawing defenders. He was really just, yeah. it was just, all right, it's time to shoot. And everybody knows where it's coming and get a rebound. So, but if you have a guy like Landers, who's able to, you know, drive, like draw a defender, get uh, kick it back out. Um, I think that'll only help uh, DDJ much more. And um, I, I think that, you know, obviously juice is like, he's the number one key to winning this year, as long yeah. as he's able to score, stay healthy and like be the number one, be the playmaker and be who he is. Everybody else is like the, like, I think everybody else is just like complimentary to, to him and yeah. having, you know, a guy like Landers as his number two, instead of JD where, you know, Landers can do some things for you that JD, like it, he, he's just, you know, it's still growing yet, still learning, still able to like figure that out. And um, I, I think, you know, Davenport was never meant to really be like the number one or number two leader guy, like you said. So mm-hmm. I think it'll be good for him too to be able to have some of that weight taken off of him and have Landers be able to share the load a little bit. So yeah, um, definitely. Just very exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to this NKU game. Um, Tonight, as you listen on Wednesday night um, at uh, at the uh, Truist Arena, formerly BB&T, now Truist, um, they're renaming their student section, and they're going to release the name at halftime. So, um, and uh, they have the billboards out uh, for uh, BeatCincinnati.com that link to their ticket website. So, they're they're taking it big. I mean, I I would too, as you know, an arguably smaller program <laughs> uh, compared to Cincinnati and. There will probably be just as many, if not more, UC fans at that game. Um, but real quick, Justin, before we move on, um, I wanted to get your thoughts real quick on Isaiah Collier. Uh, we will not, we do not know where he's leaning. He's been pretty tight-lipped about his recruitment. But um, it is down to four schools, Cincinnati, Michigan, USC, UCLA. Uh, his high school teammate did commit to uh, – Arrington Page did commit to USC uh, last month, but – Isaiah Collier did take an unofficial visit to the UC uh, East Carolina Friday night nip and night game. Uh, and his team, his high school team was in town for a scrimmage against Sycamore on Saturday. And there's a lot of Bearcat fans that were able to show up. Uh, so Justin, I just want to want to get your thoughts on what you're thinking, what you're feeling uh, less than 24 hours before the announcement. Yeah. Um, Initial thought when, you know, you look at the list that's here, I just think it's, I, I want to throw this out here really fast. I think it's interesting that there's some, some amount of DNA in every single program, Cincinnati DNA in every program that he's talking to, because you obviously of course have the pair cats. Um, you've got uh, former Cincinnati AD Mike bone and friends at USC. You have Mick Cronin, of course, at UCLA. Um, and all that he's brought there. And then I guess Michigan is really just kind of ties with David DeJulius. Um, and, but, you know, it's, it's interesting to see kind of, I think the more important thing to look at here is sort of the coaching to that it's up against. Cause I think, I think that's one thing that gets overlooked a lot. I would say, I, th- I think a lot of people, when they think about recruits, think about the program 
And I think a lot of the recruits, as much as they're looking at the program and want to see that successful, they think about the coach a lot too. Um, and so I think that's a huge part in where you look at who Wes is stacked up against. He stacked up against Juwan Howard. He stacked up against Mick Cronin. And then uh, whoever the fuck the you just see head coaches. I can't even think of who that is at the moment. But regardless, you have some, you know, pretty pretty interesting mixes of coaches here, um, all with varying levels of experience and all with varying styles. I mean, you know, Wes pulls a small bit of Cronin's mix in here, but then also injects a lot of his own, which is really offensive focused. Juwan Howard's got his own full scheme there and USC is again, a whole separate scheme of its own. So like it's going to, we're going to see where he fits in, but personally, like I think we've got a pretty good shot. I really do. Like, I mean, the fact, I think the most enlightening thing that we saw on Twitter today was the fact that the crystal ball on Isaiah for USC was taken away today, which is huge because that just says like, again, they've done a fantastic job of keeping that under wraps because usually something gets leaked out. Somebody's like, oh, this is what's going to happen. Um, you know, and you'd, ex- you'd think like, okay, a teammate's going to go to, you know, his teammates already gone to USC. They're obviously good friends. They play together. But at the same time, like everybody's path is going to kind of be their own. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know, like I, between USC, UCLA, all that, like, I think Cincinnati has like one of the most loyal fan bases, at least for basketball between all of those, they have a young, you know, full of potential kind of team. And I think the thing is like, we, we have a lot in our past. UCLA has had some recent success, of course, with Mick. So, you know, USC as well and Michigan as well. I think we kind of have that sort of underdog spot in this because if you ask, if you ask Cincinnati fans, <laughs> if you ask local media, like we're a front runner in this and that's because of all the conversations that happened. But if you talk about this, you know, to the rest of the national media, I think the sort of consensus thought would probably be that he's going to use USC or UCLA because of the program, because it's LA who can resist it. But I don't know. I wouldn't dog out Wes Miller yet, man. I mean, he, there, there was a, um, the quote from the Wheeler head coach that had said essentially that like Wes Miller has left no stone unturned, like in our athletic department has gone very hard chasing him to try to get him. And I think that coming from their coaching staff is huge just because they can see like how hard they're trying. So I don't know. I mean, that's a long winded answer to say that I feel a certain amount of, if everybody has a percentage, I think the Bearcats are firmly at like a 35% chance. And I think Michigan and USC are probably tied. I, I don't know. I, there's nothing about UCLA with all this conversation that really makes me feel like that's the, I, I I feel like they're in the mix because they're in his list, but they're not ever talked about in this conversation. I feel like that was made pretty clear after page selected USC as well. So I don't know. We'll see what happens, but regardless, of course it would be the best program, you know, recruiting program history. It would be clear in a way, you know, one and done, but <laughs> man, would it be nice to have him on our squad? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple of other thoughts on that. Like um, I, I follow a couple of people uh, just from just different, you know, ways of life and like ball and bearcat stuff. And um, I, someone brought it up on my timeline that that would like, if, when, he, if he's a, if he does commit to the bearcats, that's probably the biggest positive basketball news regarding our program since the move to the big East. And I thought about it and I was like, he he might be right. And I was like, damn, is that really a thing? Like, I was like, Oh shit. Like, because like, I mean, obviously we had a lot of success, a lot of wins, um, a lot of NCAA tournament appearances, but for whatever, I mean, other than the sweet 16 appearance, you know, but for whatever reason, like, to me, I was like, oh man, that kind of hurts. Like, does it, <laughs> is, is that true? And like, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not, but I, I was I'm, just I'm, like, man. Before you jump to what, the tweet real quick. Before you jump to the rest of what you're saying there, I want to throw this in here just because this is current. This is current feels that I think we're, you know, kind of prisoners of the moment in this thought right now. But also remember, Yancey Gates was a local guy, very highly ranked nationally. Lance Stevenson, like, 
what was number five in the country. So of course, like, I mean, I think that's kind of the thought here that right now would be like the biggest thing to happen to the program in a long time. But I don't know. I think, I think situations matter because I I guess it would be in a way because Wes is in year two right now. So he'd be like clearly hauling ass in recruiting right now, but also think of where Mick was Mick took over in what 2007 and by 2009, he had Lance Stevenson. So it's kind of one of those things too, where I think like, I don't know if you talk about a recruit that way, that is what it is. But like, you know, I think without, if we made an elite eight conversation is very different, but I think, you know, as it currently stands, yeah, it might be hard to beat. That's, it's that's fair. It's a, it's an interesting point. Nonetheless, is, would, would it be the biggest moment for UC basketball since reaching the sweet 16, since reaching this? the sweet 16, no, I I would still say no. I mean, can it, you name a bigger one? Yeah, and it's not a good one. I don't need no, to no, say no, it. No, but... <laughs> no, biggest positive moment. Oh, biggest positive moment. Um, I would. Mm, I don't know. Like I, we got. I think I, I really feel like the 2017, 2018 season, or sorry, twenty. 2018, 2019 season. Yeah. 2017 and 2018 season. Like everything that happened that season, of course it did not end the way that we wanted to. We forget about that real fast because of all the stuff that's happened in the past few years. Like it's very easy to forget about all that, but that team was like, we, I mean, we felt like we were on top of the world. Remember that team, we were like, this is a final four team. That was the most excited. This program had ever been about basketball since the nineties since Kenyon or well, since Kenyon Martin was on the team and we had that look for that run. I mean, that was all materialized there. I would say that still beats us out. If it happens, I mean, I don't know because I think, I think that's the thing we, you can get lost in recruits really fast because remember recruits 90% of the time when they're this highly ranked work out to an NBA level and just dog everybody that they play. There's always going to be a level of interest there, but I really feel like that season still kind of beats it for me personally. That's that's my personal thought on that, but I don't know. Regardless, it is a very positive move forward, nonetheless. Yep, yep, definitely. Um, yeah, but I, either way, it's still like such a cool thing that UC is being involved in like these final three decisions, and I think like this is not is definitely part of the West Miller and Chad Dollar effect of like really yep. prioritizing high talent recruiting, but I think it also speaks to the level of player you can get in the big 12. Um, and obviously Penny Hardaway is getting players at Memphis. Um, and, but, um, you know, there's, there's something to playing for Penny Hardaway and like the cachet he brings it being able to walk into a room and UC obviously doesn't have that, especially like not in the American, but I think playing in the best basketball conference, uh, in the nation, is definitely something that recruits are going to be interested in. And like, you know, playing at a place where those three guys like Jizzle, Ravon, and possibly Isaiah could walk onto the team day one and like have at least, if not starting spots, like spot, like, you know, playing time right away. Um, and I think, you know, good things come in threes. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, seems like the last two, we weren't really in on Paige that much. We were, we were more yeah. focused on Collier than Paige. So um, I mean, we, we definitely lost out on him, but right. I wouldn't say like we were really like, you know, there on him. But um, if I think about it, like when Wes has been heavy on a guy recently, like it feels like we've been getting them like Reed, Skillings, Talentino, obviously from this year. And then Jizzle, uh, Ravon and Isaiah, like, I mean, that man don't miss <laughs> seriously. And like, you know, if, if Isaiah, it does come and complete it, it'll be awesome. Um, I will remind people, uh, one, do not tweet at recruits. Uh, even if it's good news, especially if it's bad news, do not tweet at recruits. Um, it just looks weird if you're tweeting at someone who's less than 18 years old. I don't know. Yeah. Um, number two, um, <laughs> just remember that, you know, West Mill, there will be other recruits. There will be other days. There will be other of fights to battle on, you know, and they're still, they're in, they're getting in the mix for a bunch more players and 24 and 25. So like, it's, this is definitely not the end of the end, uh, end if they don't get him, but obviously it would be a big help if they did get him. And it would just say to the, those other recruits that, that UC is looking at, Hey, 
you know, we're, we're in the game now we're, we're, we're playing along. So you should come along and be part of the ride. So yeah, uh, a very exciting day for UC basketball, regardless of the, the outcome, just to be involved in the sweepstakes. Like it's very cool. Yeah. And, and honestly, like, I mean, I think the last time that we really like felt this sort of, um, you know, pull towards these recruits, remember, like, I remember watching the IG live for Ravon and it's kind of like, Oh, where's it going to go? Is it going to happen? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Like, even if it doesn't, like, this is one of those things like being in the mix is recruiting on its own. Like you said, yeah. I mean, it's, it's shows other, other high level talent that, Hey, there's probably a reason they're in the mix up here, especially because, you know, it gets to top four and look at what we're surrounded with. You know, you got, well, three big 10 schools now, technically I was about to say two pack 12 schools, but three big 10 schools, uh, for being technical. Um, so that's really interesting in its own. We are the only school that's not, a big I didn't 10 even school. think about that. Yeah. 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 That might like, that might honestly play into it a little bit. Like, cause like, yeah. he would be entering in, in the years where all three of those school, all four schools would be in their new conference. So yeah, I don't know if that really matters to him, but like, I mean, it's got to be a thought, right? Like, right. I mean, like, what if, if am I going to play in the Big Ten or am I going to play in the Big Twelve? Like, it's it's definitely a thought. I had, you brought up something that I had not thought about. So, um, but yeah, like, shout out to Isaiah, man. Like, good luck wherever you go. I certainly do hope you do come to, <laughs> to Cincinnati, but um, you're going to do great wherever you go. But uh, and Wes Miller is going to do great wherever he goes, uh, and hopefully he can capitalize it. Uh, tomorrow with or without Isaiah with a win on the road in quotation marks against the Norse and Northern Kentucky. So yeah, I mean, big can, day can tomorrow. We, can uh, we do horns down for the Norse? I mean, technically uh, it's, they, they do this thing like with like their little like shock bras on their heads. So yeah, like horns down for the Norse shock yeah. bras down, <laughs> shock bras down. All right. Bras down. Quick cut off there, but we're back for football. So Bearcats football just win baby. That is all that you really have to do at the end of the day. We can whine and complain about everything that we want to, but we could be sitting firmly in the passenger seat like ECU um, as the refs decide to take over the game and cost them 17 total points. Um, Not really sure where they got that number from, but that is what the conspiracy theory is from ECU fans. Uh, (laughs) Regardless, we'll get to ECU in a second. Let's jump back to Navy since we didn't have a chance to cover it. Steve, give us a rundown for that one. Yeah, so uh, Navy, a a 10-point win, 20-10 to to be exact. Um, A lot of frustration in this game by not being able to finish drives. Um, Bearcats were able to score two touchdowns, but uh, first half they had uh, two two drives that finished in like the 10-yard line, and they had to kick field goals twice, so – um, just still a lot of frustration with this offense. And um, we'll talk about some more in, in the most recent game, but um, games should not have been as close, but Navy will keep it close with you by their, uh, that the fact that they have to do time of possession and the fact that like our offense is just incompetent at the point uh, right now. Um, and it's also that they, um, they had like two different drives where they like missed a field goal. And I think they, didn't convert a fourth down. So like that, those are two drives that just ended nothing for them. Um, but that just takes a bunch of time off the clock. So um, this is something that I will bring up in the next game, but um, just from an unscientific look at our games this year, we've been losing the time of possession battle a lot. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the reason why we're not looking great in some of these games. Obviously that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's the snake eating its own tail when, the offense goes three and out consistently. The defense has to go back out uh, and play after they just came off the field. And right. eventually like it's going to start rolling downhill. And I've been kind of harsh on the defense this year for not being able to close out games when it mattered. But obviously when your offense can't score enough points and when they can't stay out on the field long enough for you, then again, self-fulfilling prophecy. So taking back some of my harsh words from the defense earlier this year, but speaking of the defense, Justin, I am quite happy that we will never again have to play a triple option team. So yes. uh, I know you have an affinity for the triple option from your <laughs> high school alma mater, but, um, and I, I, I do enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I do enjoy the triple option. It is fun, especially when army and Navy play against each other. It is just like a war of attrition. It is the ultimate <laughs> ground battle. Uh, even though wars are not no longer fought on the ground, uh, army and Navy still fight with infantries and, 
uh, in trenches and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, it's like uh, 1940s all over. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, I, I, I never really enjoyed playing Navy. Um, it, it's a thing that you have to practice for basically from summer on, uh, like you have to keep practicing it because like, you can't just practice, pick it up in a game or you're going to be screwed. Uh, and that's yeah. why you see when a lot of teams play them in bowl games, they usually get run over by a triple option team because it's, it's hard to pick it up in a week, especially if you're not prepared for it. So right. um, yeah, it's going to be uh, good to not have to play it, but Fickle was talking about how uh, he's going to miss not having some of that regiment of being <laughs> able to, show the guys like different clips and ways how to play the triple option. So right. um, anyway, uh, you know, another win, uh, a win is a win, obviously can't complain about wins, especially in November. Um, and I think it was just not exactly what you wanted to bounce back from the UCF game, but um, better than a loss again, like we say, uh, kept the home winning streak alive. Yeah, definitely. And uh got us up to 31 of course uh with what we have just seen this past weekend now we're at uh 32 keeping that win streak alive in nippert um the cats won another close game um three huge touchdowns which were like when we say huge like probably three if you could collect all of the three biggest touchdowns of the year they'd probably all be from this game um which is very positive and also kind of negative at the same time because all three of these big plays happened in this game. And that's all that happened in this game offensively. Really? I mean, when you kind of break it down, um, Thompson had the kick return for a hundred yards, which was <laughs> insane. Probably not going to see that again for a long time. Um, we did see that last year with Trey Tucker. I think that was 98 yards against Indiana. Um, Tucker had the screenplay and then as well, Scott had the route. Um, all of them being for over 50 yards. I think the Tucker one was about 62. Um, I can't remember exact number, but regardless. The Scott one was 75, I think, as well. So Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's all over 60. <laughs> yeah. All all over uh, all over a insane amount of yards that then once you stack up against the rest of the game offensively, just porous and just did not make sense. And it's, it's tough because you see where this game was headed um, and what it felt like it could be. And then it's the same old, same old, you got to figure out how to win uh, again. Fortunately they did. But um, I think the biggest thing here um, was probably the defense. We've talked about this time and again, this season um, that this has been a just sort of, throw up like a dog, throw up the same conversation, hurl it back down and then throw it up again. <laughs> it's, it's awful to watch, man, because like the defense is so great. It's so many points in the game, but when it matters most, they collapse. Um, and we've seen like last minute drives. This is what's kept so many teams alive. This is what kept UCF alive um, and allowed them to win. This is what happened with Arkansas. This is what happened. Um, and I'm trying to remember this very specific game where we saw that collapse as well. I think that was with SMU or USF where the same thing happened. Couldn't close it out at the end. Um, and the offense, of course, is not helping them in any regard by just kind of sitting stagnant. Um, this felt similar to the USF game in my mind where, you know, you kind of front load with a lot of like, you know, big happenings in the game. And then all of a sudden it's just like, well, can we hold them off? <laughs> can we can we steer the tide in you our direction? Um, which one? No, I thought it was USF. USF, we like loaded it up. USF, we were time. down like seventeen nothing or or like fourteen nothing, like ten nothing at some point, and then like, uh, but SMU, we were up seventeen nothing to start the game, and then like they kind of just whittled away. Uh, oh yeah, till well, the end. So regardless <laughs> the same conversation is those over games over yeah you look at it you click on any game throughout the rest of this throughout the season in conference play on and it literally goes like bearcats score 20 some in the first half and then score a touchdown in the second and that's it and it's happened every single week and it's got kind of exhausting to watch that but they've been able to kind of figure it out as a team and kind of hold off most other people. I feel better about the UCF loss now that UCF beat Tulane 
that feels good because that also evens up our odds. Um, but yeah, biggest thing here with the defense, uh, no points in the fourth quarter, um, allowed 174 rushing yards, um, and still cannot touch the quarterback. Um, I want, I want you to talk on this offense. Cause I know you kind of wrote these notes down here, but I want you to kind of walk us through what I, I don't understand why our offense is, I mean, I, I do and I don't, but I want to, it's tough to understand why our offense is so brilliant in some moments. And then so for lack of a better term, piss poor in others. Yeah. Um, it just seems like Ben's just not always making the correct decision with the ball. Like there was a couple plays where he had open targets for first downs and then he chose a different target because he didn't either see it right away or he was late on a throw and he just missed it. And, um, you know, I was either dropped or, you know, just a bad, bad ball and not, not there for the receiver to catch. Yeah. I think it's also that, you know, like the, the line's been great for him and he's, they've given him enough time to throw. Uh, I think it's just that one, like, I mean, I, Tyler Scott has been our guy this year and obviously Trey Tucker, when you get him in space, he's lethal, but I, just the, the lack of Alec Pierce. I think missing Alec Pierce has been a huge thing yeah. for us. And, you know, Ben Bryan wasn't on the team last year, but um, you know, the, he was the, he was the guy like Alec Pierce was the guy that you went to in all those situations and to right. be able to like, you know, he, he stretched the field and he was able to give you some pace and they just don't have that this year, which is all right. I mean, you know, hopefully one of these young guys is able to step up. There's definitely like the young talent there and like it can be developed and grown, but um. I think the the hand ringing about you know not getting the ball to Wiley and Taylor I think it's fair but a lot of teams are keying on those guys like they the, like they know that those are probably the would be the top two targets and they're like okay we're going right. to take those guys away and you have to beat us and in the Indiana game we literally beat Indiana over the head with that like okay here's three <laughs> chunk passes to the outside with Tyler Scott beat it uh, and right like, there you go so. Um, but I, I think it's just like this season is just we're still finding the identity of this team. And it's like, you know, the great thing about football is that, you know, teams keep trying to take things away. And our defense has been able to take a lot of things away from other teams and they can't over other teams can't overcome that. And but now it's kind of like the other way around where defenses are taking away a lot from our offense and we still just have to find a way and find a way mm-hmm. to win. And it is definitely frustrating for sure. but. Um, I, I think it's just the fact that one, no running, not running game has not been, been there. Um, two, it's Gino's first year as his own offensive coordinator, not really running under Denbrock anymore. He's got his own ideas and I'm willing to give him the leeway to figure this out. But, uh, I think it's just some of the play calls where, uh, you know, I, I, I understand, I completely, Justin, I completely understand where the game is going, where the game is going. It's all about passing now. It's not as much about the run game, but mm-hmm. um, it it just eats me alive when like you throw three straight passes and you only gain like five yards out of all three. And like, yeah, you know, <laughs> there's also been some concern about Corey Kiner and like, you know, why is he not getting enough playing time? There's been some rumors around that. Um, it, but like there was just sometimes where like I wish he would like. Gino would follow the philosophy of, okay, uh, let's do that again. Like, you know, you just ran the ball for five yards. Let's do it again. And I know that it's five yard run for us are few and far between. They don't happen very often, but right. I, there was a couple times where like we had like Corey run up the middle for like five yards on a first down. And you know, we did get the ball to him. I think that next play for like a second down, you know, to, to convert, but I just keep going with like, you know, and run until they stop it. And yeah, usually our run plays have been getting stopped, but I, that run play and having some effective run game, it will be so helpful. And I understand like our offensive line is not the best. I understand too, that we got young running backs still learning the game. Um, but either way, like, it's just, it is definitely just like a, a transition year. It's a young year. Like mm-hmm. there's everybody is learning. And like, I, I think it's just obviously, we're very frustrated, but look at the record, man. We're eight and two. And yep. obviously maybe that's just because we have more talent and more like of a program and some more scheme than some of the other teams in our conference, but we're still winning games and still able to take care of business. And 
uh, I think at this point, like you just got to say, baby, as long as we win, like wh whatever we need to do to win, we'll get there. And uh, I want to talk about the defense real quick too, Justin. Um, like obviously like time of possession battle, we lost that again. And I, I think that's partially on, you know, offense, not being able to convert a first down. I think it was the start of the second half where they went four straight four, uh, three and outs and Mason Fletcher definitely played it played a big part in this game. He'd flip the field a lot, mm -hmm. gave the Bearcats some good field position to play defense out of. Um, and I, I think it was just also that, like, you know, when the Holton Naylor is just going to keep throwing the ball and like, he's just, <laughs> you know, he's been there for five years and he's, he's good. You know, he, he's able to make some throws and um, you know, it's just unfortunate that like this defense has had to be out on the field for so long because they're probably much better than what they look like. Uh, especially on some of yeah. these drives. Like I, and I think we know that. I think we saw that last year, obviously a lot better players on the team, but still like, I, I think they're better than what they've shown. And it's kind of just the two teams working together, but right. Well, Justin, I want to bring up something real quick and then we can uh, go back to what we we're talking about, but ECU's special teams lost them this game. Like <laughs> for sure. And for sure. Hey, how about the Bearcats having better special teams, better kicking, I've always had, we've always had good punting, so I can't right. say that, but better kicking game won the game for them again this year. And I, you know, in, in close games, like I wouldn't really call the 21 game close, but we bought a block to kick there and returned it for a touchdown. Like, you know, we, we kicked a couple of field goals in the 2019 game. And like this year that ECU missed a field goal that would have given them the lead uh, late in the game. They probably wouldn't have had to go for two. Um, and, you know, they, all their fans, or complaining about the refs. I don't even want to acknowledge yeah. that farther than that, Justin. But um, I, I think special teams were a big part in why the Bearcats were able to win this game, uh, especially the, the the kick return for a touchdown too. That was, that was a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, I think while we're kind of on this, uh, speaking about sort of how this, how this season has kind of gone, I, I've made this point um, earlier in the season. I feel like it's almost even more relevant now what this season feels like right now to me feels very similarly to uh i'd say the 2018 or the 2019 season give or take one of those two um yeah, i think the 29 2018 season more in um how it's kind of materialized week to week uh the 2019 season sort of in the feeling you know you came out strong in the 2019 season you beat ucla at home and then immediately drop a goose egg to ohio state and then take care of business the whole way through, including beating UCF, which of course that was a huge win for us. But I think the thing that I've noticed here is when you look at these seasons in past and compare them to now, the 2019 season had so many games that came down to the wire and we just figured out a win. I think it's much different now because if, of course, we're never going to be able to do this, but if you were able to separate last year entirely, and separate all these years out into capsules individually, no storylines from a prior season going in, no future storylines going out. Look at that individual season. This season is very similar because you have teams that you took care of early on in the season. You get into conference play. You have a three-point game against a UCF. You have a 10-point game against um, a Tulsa. You have a three-point game that you escape on a game-winning field goal against ECU. You have another three-point game where you escape on a game-winning field goal against South Florida. You have a two-point win against Temple at home. Like You have a lot of these games that just kind of like get to you, but you end up winning, and it was exhilarating at the time. Like We were all high, high out, high out of our minds in 2019 because it was so much fun. And then, of course, you get to like 2020 and 2021 where we're just – now it's just growing and that steamroller has just got so much momentum. And then you get to this year, we're doing all the same stuff we've done before. It's just, we put it in the lens of last season and we put it in the lens of where we're headed with the big 12. And we're like, fuck man, what's happening? Like we can't. And I think that's one of the things is like we said, we just get sort of the prisoner of the moment. We're like, why is everything going wrong? Like, why is this not working? And like you said, you can say what you want. We're eight and two. You can say what you want. We've we take we control our own destiny this this whole way out for the conference championship game because UCF, like I said, beat Tol or Tulane. 
which means Tulane now has a loss to UCF. We have a loss to UCF. UCF is in as long as they win out. No problem. Easy done. Tulane, we win the direct head-to-head matchup. No problem. We're in. Tulane, it's it's Tulane or Cincinnati, whoever wins that game is going to the conference championship. I feel pretty certain because it's at home and because the way we've played this season, I think that we've just be, we're going to be able to find a way to win and we're going to end up in the conference championship. You talk about that game, get a rematch with UCF going to be on the road because they have the head to head matchup advantage. The Bearcats have a pretty good shot of figuring that out. And if they do New Year's six bowl, what are we complaining about, man? Like if we, if we get into another New Year's six bowl, this one, we should win. <laughs> But if we get into another New Year's Six Bowl, I mean, the narrative of the season, how can you really like complain about that? I, I, I mean, I think this is, like I said, we, we just keep getting caught up in our expectations and we want to be in the college football playoff. I think we let go of that so early. So now that we're in control of our own destiny and we have the New Year's Six on the plate, it just needs to be served up to us. What what are we complaining for? You know what I mean? I, I think that's so dumb because like we we've we've counted out the playoff and we've counted out a bad year. It's neither one of those things. But the New Year Six is still there. And I that's that's a huge I mean, remember the New Year Six encapsulates what? Uh how many how many teams in total? Twelve. So yeah. <laughs> it's it's 12 teams out of the entire country, and you're one of those, and you're able to do that three years in a row if we do it again this year. Man, it, it's one of those things where I feel like we're just tiring ourselves out and we're trying to find a reason to complain. That is so, so yeah. good. And just remember, I, I, I've heard this about uh, Alabama this past week with all the talk about uh, Saban. I think his, uh, it was his daughter or somebody came out and said like, uh, what, what was the exact quote? It was, uh, be thankful for what you have before it's what you had. And I think that's just such an important thing for us to remember too. Not because we're going to scare off a Luke Fickle or scare off anybody, but like remember this moment because it will not always be like this. You would like to think that it will, but it probably will not always be like this. So again, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling like this season is just a mess, remember where we're headed and what we've got. And we could be ECU who's had, you know, what six consecutive losing seasons and has had had a seven and five season last year. And they were insanely elated about it. And this year they're six and four. They're super happy. And they're then because of this game, they're pissed off because they just want to win another one, but they know they're not going to get to the New Year six. We have goals that so many other teams cannot match, cannot reach. They can't because of the conference or because of the way their team is schemed up. We can do it. Just got to chill out people. Sorry, yeah. that was a long rant, yep. but it's just I, I like I'm, it. I'm I like tired it. of the negativity. I like it. I like it a lot. No, I'm tired of the negativity right. around this team, man. Look up the Rick Patino rant, Justin, after this. And <laughs> I think like, oh, Rick Patino <laughs> Celtics rant. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Uh so uh I don't have anything to respond to that. That was awesome, Justin. Like I completely agree with all your points, and I've been kind of trying to preach those all year. And um, you know, hey, we still got a chance, still got a chance. That's all you can ask for heading into the final two weeks of the season. Still got a chance at all of those things. So, yep. um, it, you know, could could happen, but we'll see. So um want to bring up this week's game real quick against Temple. Um, so uh, UC is down to, I think, a 16 and a half point favorite um, last time I checked and uh, started at 20. So that, that's kind of interesting to me. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, so it, uh, I'm not seeing the line here. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Sorry. 17 point favorite, uh, according to the score and the Barstool Sportsbook app. Um, Justin, uh, Temple has looked a little bit feisty recently. Uh, they've played, um, I'd say, four bad teams in a row. Uh, they played at Houston last week and then beat South Florida. They fired Jeff Scott the week before that. Week before that, they lost to Navy uh, in overtime. Um, and they lost to Tulsa the weekend before that as well. Um, and then, but the the most recent game they played against a good team, they lost to UCF seventy to thirteen. Um, so <laughs> by no means and am I am I saying it could be something similar, but um, they've been feisty the last few weeks. Uh, and I don't think this is a game that we should take lying down, of course, because 
we need to win this game to keep going and keep keep the aspirations up. But um, hopefully, Justin, this is the game where we finally just kick it into gear and just be no. like, all right, let's go. No, like, I this was. <laughs> Steve, I love the energy, but I have to immediately turn it down because <laughs> we've said this every single week this season, all 10 games so far, we've said this is going to be the week that we're going to take over and it hasn't happened. Yep. I'll let you believe, but I just can't do it personally. Well, you're right. No, no, no. I mean, hey, this is this is not last year's team. And this was the weekend, actually, where the Bearcats went into senior day 10-0, and whipped SMU's ass, and then kept it going for two more weeks. But again, obviously, as we've talked about, not the same team. Um, kind of speaking of that, actually, real quick, um, I, I was reading a piece about Robert Griffin III, and, uh, like, because uh, there was a reporter following him during the uh, Cincinnati UCF game uh, just talking about his resurgence and his uh, rides through broadcasting and stuff. There was a note in there though, about how um, UC's coordinators said like the team and the players, like, well, he claimed to think that the the vibes around UC's program were that they just really hadn't recovered from that week one loss to Arkansas. Justin, I don't believe that. Like, I, I don't believe that either. I, I don't like. I they would have lost a lot more games in worse fashion and like dumber fashion if they had really been beaten up about that. And yeah, I just don't think like we have the overwhelming talent that we had the last two years, and that's why it's close. But Fickle and these guys, like this program, we've been basically like built to win these close games. Like yeah. UCF is. UCF and Arkansas, they were still one-score games. We didn't get blown out in either of those games. You know, Georgia was a one-score game way back when. Like, you know, the Memphis games were both uh, – no, no, the first Memphis game wasn't a one-score game. But the second one was a one-score game. Like, we are – we have not gotten blown out in a game since, well, I guess last year's Cotton Bowl. But other than that, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's we're, – we're still in these games. Like, this team could have given up after that and – Obviously, they have it. They're eight and two. They have a shot. And this game against Temple this week, I think it'll show us like, okay, are we really going to be like, is this team still really in it? Are they really just wanting this? Are they really going to fight for this? And I, I think they will. I think they know what they want. And I know, I know, I think they know their goals. But like, you know, this is just the weekend where like, okay, like it's it's here for the taking now. Like this is this is the team you should beat. You should, you should be able to cover the spread. And like, man, I just want to see it. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think we will just because I'm following what we've done against the spread this year so far, but I just want to see it. Uh, like I said, I, I'm, I'll let, I'll let you take it. But at the same time, like you can't, the Bearcats do not cover this year. That is the that is the news of the season. Is they just don't cover. <laughs> and it, you know, I think this is one of those things where like I'm I've made the mental decision that I'm just tired of this conversation of like we have to be at this bar when all that we've done, you know, barring the UCF game is win. Sure it's ugly as hell. Sure it might not be fun. But at the same time, like we've managed to figure it out. And I think as long as we can continue to do that, I mean, here, here's the thing. I mean, do you think that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good game for reference, but think of it, think of it as like, if you're an sec team, like in your say like LSU or your Alabama, or you're somebody else who's like, you know, trying to vie for something bigger at the end of their season. And they don't beat a team by 40. Of course, Alabama's independent in this argument on the, all on their own. But like if they don't beat a team handedly, that's their culture is that like, oh my God, everything is awful. This sucks. Like, I don't want our culture to be that way. I really don't because like we've, we've, we've come out of the past decade swinging like the the past few years under Luke Fickle have really started to turn this program around. And I don't want us to be in that position um, where we get so caught up over, you know, how the game goes. I think we need to pay attention more to how it finishes. And I mean, honestly, would you rather, would you rather blow teams out, cover the spread by, you know, 
let's let's say we beat USF and we beat Tulsa by 30 points each. That's great. Now, if you go to the UCF game, say we lose by three touchdowns. Would you rather have something like that where it's like, you know, you can get your ass beat, but then you beat ass at the same time? Of course, we want to beat everybody, but at the same time, like you can't just get so caught up on winning. I mean, it's dumb. It's it's exhausting for everybody to just get so caught up in like two, three points. I mean, I think it's the conversation during the game is should be. I, I think if everybody got off of Twitter and got offline and just was able to just watch the game, take the evening to digest. We're not very good at this either. I'm not going to say that we're saints in this because we are victims of it just as much or perpetrators, I should say. But if everybody got offline and then just let the day digest and go into the next game, man, we just won a game. Don't know how we did it. It was ugly, but we figured it out. Like, take yourself out of that moment for just one day and you'll be fine. I promise. I promise. Well, with the way better. Twitter's going, we might be taking it out <laughs> for a, a longer term. So, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Are we on Mastodon yet, Justin? Shout out to Mastodon. Mastodon. I don't even know what that is, man. I'm behind. I feel old. Not with it's the times. apparently the replacement Twitter, but, uh, but anyway, Justin, um, I, I think we've, uh, made our point very clear. Uh, enjoy the good times while the good times are here for sure. Yeah, for sure. And if you can't, then you'll be biting yourself in the ass when they aren't, um, yep. regardless, I think that covers pretty much all that we've had for this week. Um, we just wanted to cover the cats in some detail since we've been off for a week or two. Um, but we got Temple, got a couple big games coming up for the Bearcats. Uh, if we're recording again on Tuesday next week, um, we're not going to be quite to Maui yet. I think I'm trying to remember what day Maui starts officially. No, that'll be Maui. That'll, it is. That is start, start day is Tuesday then. Okay. It's uh, Monday, I think. Does it really? I'd have to look. I got to look at the calendar. Look, but look and confirm. But... Regardless, we'll have NKU um, to reflect on and Temple to reflect on as well. So be in the mix for that and check that out if you've stuck around this long. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, this has been another edition of Viva La Cats. A little bit of a lengthy one, but again, we'll reach you guys after those. So peace out, take care, and uh, go Bearcats, baby. Just win. Go Bearcats. Just win, baby.